So, um, so my name is uh, Lucas Johnson, and I uh, work with the On Being Project. I'm talking to you from Atlanta, uh, Georgia, at the moment. Is there anyone else in Atlanta here? No. Okay. I see some folks from St. Paul coming in. Uh, on being is based in Minneapolis, and so sending some Twin City love and some Midwest love. I see some other Midwestern folks in here too. Well, I um. Let's see, let me adjust my view. So I just wanna to talk to you guys today a little bit about our, our work and it's um, good for me to be able to, to, uh, to share a little bit about um, what, we, what we do at On Being and uh, how we're trying to contribute to the landscape of of social healing um, in our country and in the in in the world. Um, for those of you that that may not know, um, on being we 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 describe ourselves as a media project and public life initiative, and um, and what that means for us is that we we try to the, to take the impact of our content seriously and care about what it what it does. Um, to people and what what it does in people as they um, listen and hear um, our our main show, which is how most people know our content is is on being with Krista Tippett, and um, and that uh, radio show that which is on NPR and podcast and all of our work really deals with three animating questions: What does it mean to be human? How should we live and who should we be to each other? Krista is in conversation with uh, scientists and playwrights and priests and monks and uh, practitioners of, of spiritual wisdom from a variety of different backgrounds, uh, all uh, seeking to explore those questions of, of life and meaning the 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 part of of our work that I'm going to talk to you about today really in some ways uh, got started in 2011 um, when Krista noticed that there was a real um, shift I think we all noticed uh, in the U.S. at that point and it's kind of hard to look back and say this now given given what we've been through and where we are but there was a shift in the sort of tone and tenor of public life and public discourse at the time uh, that was right around the shooting of Gabrielle Giffords and uh, Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords and, and everyone seemed to remember or to, to, to feel that there was something that had been happening for a long time, but that had kind of reached a new level that there was no place in our public life for us to engage in conversations across difference with in ways that really preserved a sense of 
um, common concern and common commitment to, to, to shared values. And so, um, and so Krista decided that she wanted to engage in experiment and she wanted to invite two people that had uh, that represented different points of, 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 of view uh, from on, on one of the great sort of pressing issues of our time. And, uh, and she brought two people to be in conversation with each other. And, and they modeled what it looks like to have relationship across these lines of difference. And the response that people had from that was many people began to write us and say to us from all over uh, the United States and all over the world, really, and say, you know, I've never heard a conversation like this. Um, and they also began to say, could you help us have a conversation like this in our, in my community, in my school, in my classroom, um, in my congregation? Um, or how do I, how do I do this with my brother, with my sister, with my grandson? How do I be in relationship? How do I have this kind of conversation? And so we began to realize that we had a, we had a opportunity to really assist and accompany people to, uh, to say something, to, to, to really engage and work in a, in a different way um, uh, than, than, than what we had, um, I think, previously understood. And so out of that, uh, our, our commitment to the work of social healing really became clearer. So I want to, so uh, Amrit had put some, some links in the chat um, to you uh, at, the, at the top here. And let me, Amrit, could you repost those? Yep, doing um, it now. Thank you. Um, what, I, what I'd like to do is just to kind of walk you through um, the, you know, one of the things that we did, what's, what's posted here in the chat, these grounding virtues. One of the things that we did was um, we tried to distill um, the wisdom that we had gained from Krista's experience being in conversation over the years. Um, and some of the things that we had learned from some of the guests, some of whom you've heard from uh, uh, this week, into uh, what we called grounding virtues for for a better conversation. That that was that was our kind of initial offering um, in response to this to this need. And so I wanted to just kind of talk to you about those virtues and how we use them and what they what they mean. Uh, uh, for us and, um, and uh, how these, uh, how the Better Conversations Guide is a resource that we provided and how people are using it. Um, and then I just want to open it up for a conversation as, as much as, as, as best as, as, as possible in this kind of a, a framework. So um, I want to talk to you about the, about words that matter. Just a second. A little parched. 
Um, but before I continue, it's just eerily silent for me. I know it's, you know, I know it's, it's polite for, for us to all be on mute. Can, can everyone just like unmute and make a little bit of noise that makes me feel more comfortable? We're here. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thank you for this. We got your back. Thank yep. you. Oh. Thank you. Oh. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That feels so much better. Feels so much better. Um, I uh, I want to talk to you about uh, words that matter. You know, um, I think that you know, the interesting thing about these virtues and, and, and I, I feel like, and I think Krista and I both feel like we're not talking about something that is foreign. We're not talking about something that, that we, that people have never heard of before, or that people don't on some level know within themselves or within their own experiences in life. um, When we name these things, in fact, part of what we're trying to do, part of our approach is we're trying to encourage people to to exercise muscles in us that we've allowed to atrophy right that that the the nature of the way that we've structured our lives in 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 the united states and in many other places is 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 that we don't need to develop these muscles anymore or we we've thought that we 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 don't need to develop them anymore but the truth is these, these muscles are the essential ones for, for what's necessary for us to build our common future. And so in some ways, you know, we're trying to call forth uh, things that already exist in ourselves. And we're just echoing, you know, the wisdom that has been around for a long time. So I want to begin with words that matter because, you know, one of the things that we realize is that in the landscape of our discourse, people often use a lot of language that is code for, for things that we could say differently or, or better uh, to one another. Um, You know, there are things that we have an opportunity to, to, there are things that are hard for us to say or hard for us to sort of use the relational language to say. Um, uh, and, and that instead we, we, we use language that is distant and impersonal and um, we use language that is about abstract principles of right and wrong, no matter how right and wrong it is, no matter how just and unjust things are. Sometimes it's easier for us to say that something is wrong than it is to say that, this, that, that something hurts me. Um, because there's a, there's a principle of vulnerability involved. And so 
and so I we we try to ask people to consider uh, words in the context of of being in conversation. We talk about hospitality, and again, it goes hand in hand with 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 words because in order to invite language that suggests vulnerability, you have to create the hospital, you have to create a hospitable environment to that vulnerability. You have to, you have to create the conditions where those words can land and be felt and received. And so it's important when you go into conversations to think about your intentions and think about how you want to set up an environment that that signals that the person with whom you want to be in conversation with, that you want to be in relationship with, um, that signals to them that they can show up with, with words that are not weaponized, but disarmed. We, we talk about um, humility um, because we, There's this tendency um, in our public life and in our in our in our interpersonal lives where it's as though we all have to have our position papers on everything um, ready, <laughs> and the goal is to um, win arguments, uh, not be in relationship. And I think the truth is when we when we consider the most pressing moral and ethical issues of our time. There's a lot that we don't know. And um, there's a disposition that we can hold um, that invites people into a common journey of discovery um, where we're offering for each other what we know to be true. Um, and we orient ourselves towards a common pursuit um, towards that, that truth, uh, or towards that collective experiment that we have to engage in. I think, um, I've been using as an example of this, you know, my, my perception of, uh, watching, uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand and Angela Merkel, um, in different moments say to their people in the context of the pandemic, we don't know, <laughs> Um, but this is what we're going to try, right? And just the, the, the goodwill that I feel like those, those words created, right? Sort of being able to lay out everything that was known, lay out the best that the scientists could offer, and then say, this is the, this is the effort that we're going to engage in based on, based on what we think we know, right? Um, how often is that possible in our public discourse for us to be able to speak in such ways. Um, we talk about uh, patience. Um, I know that for me, I, I remember one time uh, I was talking to my little brother and, and I was kind of scolding him. And he, he, uh, he just kind of looked at me and said, he had said something or done something that I you know, told him wasn't right. And he looked at me and said, I didn't know. No one ever told me, you know. 
and I think about how often it is that we, um, you know, we, we, we forget that we were also once, uh, that someone once taught us, <laughs> that someone once had the generosity to help us understand something that we didn't know. I, 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 I find people sometimes being very cruel to one another um, in part because they're embarrassed by, um, by the fact that uh, someone else's ignorance reminds them of their own, right? And it's embarrassing. Um, and in our context, we, we try to treat each other as though there's a, there's a, composite, a competition to be the, the most enlightened when that, that's just not very useful. And so I think it's important to be patient with each other along along with that and, and be patient with ourselves as well. Alongside that is there is there something um, that uh, that we talk about that we describe as generous listening. And um, for me, you know, I think that that's that's um, you know, there are choices that we can make um, when we hear things, right? And we can choose to assume the good intentions of the person who's speaking, um, or we can choose to treat this as a competition where we we catch them in 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 some misspoken word, um, and. Uh, and I think again, we we know what we we know what these things feel like. We know when someone has been generous towards generously listening to us, right? When someone has been kind in our mis, towards our misspeaking, or or when someone has given us the space to really express ourselves well. We know what that feels like. We know how good it feels to be heard. Um, you know we. I think that, you know, especially when we're angry, especially when emotions are involved, we're not always our most articulate. And so when we give each other space, when we listen with kindness and with generosity, we're able to hear sometimes more than what's being said. And, um, and I think that this is something we have to think about. And then finally, we talk about an adventurous civility. Now, let me let me tell you something. I know that um, civility, that word, is sometimes distracting. And so, if it's if that language isn't useful to you, then let it go. That's 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 fine. And if it's meaningful to you, then um, then okay. Um, but let me say what I mean by that. Um, this is not about policing people's anger or suppressing people's uh, righteous dissent. It's about, it's about recognizing the fact that we don't have a choice but to exist in relationship to one another. And too often in our lives, we, we, we pretend as though we have a choice between relationship and not in our public life, in our, in our lives, in our common life. 
we don't. We just have a choice between good relationship or bad relationship, <laughs> uh, or maybe some some gradation in between. But we exist in relationship to one another, right? This is the the wisdom of 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 of, of what our traditions teach us. We exist in relationship to one another, and so we have to choose the character of that relationship. And our common life, which is what the word civility is here meant to imply, our, our, our common life is dependent on us finding a way to be in relationship with one another while we work out uh, the, the, the differences between us. Um, the only other option is ultimately violence or ultimately leads to violence, right? And so I think that part of the, I think for us, part of what all of these represent is, is the notion that relationship is the point. Um, you know, you, we don't, anyone who's been on a journey of, of sort of transformation and, um, and accountability, uh, anyone who's trying to do some, you know, anti-racism work or, or anyone who's challenged their, their, their own relationship to uh, sexism or, 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 you know, you, you come to a point where you realize that um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. It's not something that you, you don't wake up one day and decide that, you know, I can't wake up one day and, and declare myself not sexist and say that I no longer have any work to do. The, the world around me, the atmosphere around me is so embedded um, with systems that, that I have to constantly ask myself. What I, what I can do is orient myself towards the person I wish to become and orient myself towards the women in my life so that the, the journey that I'm on is one that gets us all to where we want to go. The point is relationship. It's not, it's not some point linear declaration that we arrive at and then stop and declare ourselves free. We, we always have to keep working. My, I had the privilege of being mentored by um, veterans of the, uh, of the civil rights movement, but veterans of the black freedom struggle. Um, and uh, one of my mentors, Vincent Harding, uh, my, my sort of principal mentor used to joke with me when I <laughs> used to kind of, I don't know if joking is the right word. He, he would teach me in these loving ways that often involved a, a chuckle uh, at times when I said, said something that was, that, that inspired it in him. I, I remember I would say to him, um, you know, don't you just get tired of having to, having to fight these fights all the time, having to still do this. And, and, you know, and he said, of course. Um, and he reminded me that this is, uh, that this is the work of being human. And, uh, and that we don't get to sort of, uh, we don't sort of arrive, we have to keep, keep working at it. And so 
I, these grounding virtues, I think are our teaching tools that we offer. Um, it's just, it's distillation of wisdom that we've heard over the years and that we offer to our community and people, um, have taken them and have made use of them and have made use of the explanations and the, uh, and the, 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 the guidance that, you know, that that's in the better conversations guide. And they've used it in conversations all over the United States, all over the world. And it's been remarkable to see. And so, um, I, I, I want to, um, I, I want you to know that, that, that that's happening. And I, you know, I don't know if some of you have used this um, and have heard some of the, the modeling that we've done on the show or, um, and I'm happy to hear from you, but I, it's important for me to, to tell people that, to, that, that folks are out there trying to do this because I think from our vantage point, um, you know, being on, on public radio and 400, on 400 stations and, and with all the, the, the listeners around the world and the millions of downloads, um, it's always encouraging to see how many people really make up this, this generative effort to try to be in a new quality of relationship with one another, right? People are awakened to the problem and people are desperate for change and it's a it's an honor for us and a blessing for us to have so many people that contact us that that reach out to us and ask how we might support them and as they do that how we might accompany them as we do that and so we we have a number of ways that we try to try to do that for folks um and uh and so i'll i'll stop there with that encouraging note um just for you all to know that people are out there doing it. I know this is a group that cares deeply about good communication and, and, and speaking well with folks um, and with each other and uh, communicating well. And so um, I, I hope you'll find that encouraging and uh, I'm looking forward to, to hearing from you um, and uh, learning from you. And, feel, and if there's any, and, and I, I'm happy to hear any questions about anything that I've said, also any challenges to what I've said. Um, uh, there, are, there are plenty of things that, uh, that are worth challenging that, um, that I'd happy, be happy to be in conversation with. We have about 25 minutes left, and I think we know that Lucas would love to hear from you. Turn on your camera, unmute your mic, Raise your hand. Let's have some conversation. Let's connect. Isabel, you're on mute. We can't hear you. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just go. In the, in the in between. Um, can you all hear me though? This is Tamara. Yes, we can. Okay. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. Um, so thank you, Lucas, for everything that you've said here. 
and thank you for all of the work that you're doing at On Being. Um, I feel myself being very, very nervous in this moment. I am, I guess my, my, it's not really a question. It's just a thought, I guess, is that I, I'm wondering in, in a world that is so deeply ingrained in competition, we are deeply ingrained in, uh, I feel like you put it really well when you were saying that that we walk around in society feeling like we have to have our position papers on everything. And I struggle to feel like I can be apart from that. Um, like I, I want to walk through the world and have generosity for people's experiences and I'm getting emotional. <laughs> um, but I just feel like that is weaponized. I feel like that walking around and having that generosity for other people puts you in a space where you are, your words are used against you. And I don't really know how to exist apart from that. And I guess I'm wondering if you have thoughts there. Yeah, thank you, Tamara. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, it's hard. Um, and there's a, there's a couple of things that I, that I, um, that I think are important for me to say. One is that I think in this, there's a nuance that we have to, um, um, two things. Um, one is that um, uh, it's important for me to say that when I talk about hospitality and humility and generosity, that um, there is sometimes uh, too much of a burden and expectation placed on, on, on uh, the same people to always be the ones who are generous and, and always be the ones who are hospitable and so on and so forth. Um, I, um, you know, my, uh, so my background comes from, uh, the world of sort of peace building and, um, and nonviolence and, and, and part of what we we're doing, part of the way that we lead here and, uh, uh, or part of our, our approach here on being is to bring a peace building framework to the United States, you know, and, and, and understanding that we, in some ways are, have been a country at war with each other for a long time. And there are deep wounds um, uh, embedded in our, in our life that have structured our lives together. And that the, the, the work to be done is, is, is the kind of, is, is not unlike the kind of trauma healing work that needs to be done uh, in, in war-torn conflicts. And so I say that to say that, that what we're what we're talking about here and what you're naming is uh, has to do with the fact that our patterns of behavior can be so, are so deeply ingrained and so it is hard to push against it um so that's one thing the other thing that that I, that i that i want to say and name is that um there's a there's a context in which and this is a hard thing as well that um you know in order in order to stop the cycle of violence um, 
someone has to absorb the blow and choose not to return it. And that's never right. It's never right. It's never something that we can feel entitled to. It's never something we can demand. It's never something we can ask for. And people do ask for it and feel entitled to it all the time. And that is just a continual perpetration of violence, right? So it's never right. And yet our lives are dependent on it, right? Because how many people have absorbed those blows for us, right? How many people on a daily basis, like, you know, given the level of, of, of violence, of nascent violence in our society, people are making that choice every day, right? And so how do we live our lives in such a way where we lessen the burden of that, of that miraculous choice on others and invite sometimes and make room for the grace to emerge in ourselves to be able to have the capacity to take those risks. I think I'm maybe being a little bit too abstract, but what I mean to say is that on one hand, um, um, we have to be measured in our choice to be vulnerable with one another. That's true because I want people to be safe and I want people to not um, risk their well-being unnecessarily. I, I think people need to take under to account their social location and all of those things. And also we have to assess for ourselves when we can take those risks, when it's okay for us to choose to be generous. Um, because today, today I can do that, right? With this person, I can do that today, right now. Tomorrow, I may be too weak. Tomorrow, I may not have it in me. And I may need to sort of, I may not be able to be that generous. And maybe I, I can get good at communicating that with them, right? Maybe I can say, I can't listen to you in the way that I want to today, because that's just not where I am right now. Right. So I, I guess there are different approaches that we have to take as we live, as we walk through our lives. But, but I think that we have to get practiced at recognizing um, that it's a need, that it's something we need to do, and recognizing our own capacity to do it um, and, and, and adjusting accordingly. Is that, is that a helpful response? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. I would like to add to that and thank you, Tamara and, and Lucas for your response. Um, when you're talking, the, the thing that came to my mind is uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked your response because I've kind of been figuring out when I get to the point where I don't want to be your, I don't want to be your teacher on culture. I don't want to be your teacher on racial equity. How do I step, step away in a graceful manner? Um, mm -hmm. And I think part of your response to Tamara actually helped me. So I just want to say thank you. Um, this, is a, this is an incredible session. It really makes me think. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think Shireen had her hand raised. Are you still on Shireen? Would you like to ask your question? Uh, yeah, it's sort of hard to talk. It's also emotional. Um, Lucas, I just have been following your work for so long. So thank you. It's wonderful to be sort of in a room with you. Um, 
just share a little story and I'm just curious what you and others think about it. So I live in um, a small town now that is pretty conservative and I'm just put my cards on the table. I'm kind of a fish out of water here. Um, and, you know, at, at the beginning of um, the Trump days, I remember seeing on social media, a lot of people unfriending each other. Remember, if you think that this guy should be, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And my response to all of that, uh, once the pandemic hit, was to simply disengage like, from social media. I just, I just, I have to narrow down the conversations that, that I'm having. And then when we all kind of started to come back out again this spring, you know, after January 6th, and I'm at Little League Games and with people who I know, you know, really, really disagree with me. And um, I've had to resist the temptation to sort of not friend them, right? And I, I just kind of want to share this because I, I've had, it's like this um, moral quandary, right? How do we engage with others who we not only disagree with, not only think are wrong, but think may be saying and doing things that are actually evil? And, and when I think about that, you know, I flip it to all those years that people wanted to exclude people for all the things that all of us are championing, right? You know, because they were gay, because they were transgender, because you know, and so I guess my question is, how do we and, and, and are we called to be as generous with people who we really believe <laughs> are leading us down a bad path? Do we need to show that same level of listening and civility? And, and I've been trying and I think it's right, but it still makes me uncomfortable. Is, is that I mean, I'm really being open here. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I'm not someone who believes that relationship is complicity. Right. Um, I, I don't, I don't find that notion very helpful uh, when it comes to human lives. You know, we, again, because we exist in relationship to one another. Um, and and you're right that to, there's a there's a way that we have to sort of contort ourselves in order to not be in relationship somehow. Like, right? We, I mean, I I think about how we again we learn these practices early on, and we learn that we need to we need them to survive, right? I think about how you have to, you know, as we pass someone who's experiencing homelessness on the streets, and how we have to harden some part of ourselves in order to not give all of our money away each time if you live in a big city uh, where you pass people often right and and you have to suppress some empathy that is that is a good thing in yourself and you know that that in suppressing that that empathy it's you're doing something bad but yet you've we've convinced ourselves that we kind of have to because it's just too much you don't know if they're lying you don't know if they you don't there's all these things you don't know so i i guess i'm using that as an illustration to point out the extent to which um, we exist in relationship and we have to bend ourselves. We have to train ourselves not to. And so these people that are your neighbors that are at the little league game, you know, you would have to, you would have to go out of your way to not be in relationship with them. And I don't think that that's the right response. Right. And, um, 
I, I also think that part of the challenge is that we're not very practiced at knowing what it looks like to be in relationship to and talk about the hard things and not surrender your moral position one inch, but yet maintain the relationship. And that's something that we have to learn how to do well, right? Um, I, you know, we have to learn how to say, I love you and you're wrong. And in order for us to be in this, you know, I love you and I think you're wrong. I don't think that's the right, right thing, but I wanna stay in relationship with you. And so I need us to try to work on this, right? And, and the thing is, you know, it's not gonna produce results in election cycles. It's not gonna produce results in, you know, maybe, maybe in our, our lifetime. I, I find it interesting, you know, my experience for part of my career, I, I got to engage work at the Human Rights Council in Geneva. And, I, and, I, and there were moments when I felt like all the diplomacy, it felt so incremental, right? But then at some point I realized that those, those increments represented little breaths of oxygen for people with their backs against the wall on the ground, right? Those, those, little, those little moments where even if it was a delay, it, even if it created a delay in a state actor causing harm, it was a delay that might allow someone to escape, right? It was a delay that it might, you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I don't know if that's a helpful illustration. I, I just mean to say that um, something that my, my friend Jen Bailey says sometimes that change happens at the pace of relationship, right? And, um, I think generous listening will also, in my experience, you learn what's behind the positions that people take. You learn the fear that's behind the positions that people take. And then you find yourself talking about the thing that truly matters rather than, rather than the symbol of that thing that they've wrapped themselves around. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if anyone else wanted to offer their insights. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Nope, I just wanted to see if Isabel had her mic working when she was waiting. If not, please, please go forward and we can check in in a minute. No, Isabel can't hear you. No, <laughs> sorry. Um, thank you. Um, Shireen's comment made me think of times when I've decided that the relationship is more important than the disagreement. And I find myself sort of contorting myself, as you say, in spaces where I am more vulnerable, um, especially when it comes to family, I would say. Um, like I could spend my entire life trying to explain to my parents that me being gay is not an American disease, but it's just not 
you know, at some point it's like, this is how they love me. And I would rather feel this broken love from them than try to fight this with them. And maybe in the long term, I'm hurting myself, but it feels like a selfish thing to do today. Um, and even when it comes to the pandemic, like I have anti-vaxxers in the family and I've made it very clear where I stand and they give feedback along the lines of, you know, I just have to do my research or whatever. And so um, it just has come to the point where I don't want to lose these relationships. And so I really appreciated your comment about relationship is not complicity, but sometimes I worry about my essence and does it dilute what I stand for. I think a lot about the phrases or the idioms around something like people who don't have enemies don't stand for anything in their life. And so I, I don't know, should I be picking fights and am I just being lazy? I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know where I'm, what I'm asking you, Lucas, but those are all the thoughts that came through my head. Thank you, Michael. I, I appreciate that and, and, and can relate to, to, to those thoughts. I mean, um, one thing I, I think it's important to kind of reiterate that if, you know, if choosing to be, there were times in my life, so as a, as a gay man, there were times when I was not well enough to be in relationship with some of my conservative uh, friends and family. Um, it was too damaging for me to hear um, what they had to say. And I needed to be able to sort of separate myself from my own health and healing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I want to underscore the extent to which I understand that that's sometimes necessary. And um, now I am well enough strong enough and resilient enough to engage those conversations and those relationships um, in limited terms, not all the time, not with 24 hour access, not with, you know, uh, not letting people yell at me or um, all those things. Um, but, and, you know, and, and, and again, we get to say that to each other, but I think the challenge is that we sometimes wield relationships as the only power we have right? We want to punish people. Um, and we want to influence people by withdrawing our, our, their access to us. And I understand that. And again, I think that there are sometimes reasons to do that. Um, and also, I've learned that sometimes, um, it's valuable to see and understand other people's way of loving um, and allow love to work slowly in them, right? And to give them the opportunity to grow. Um, I, um, uh, I tell this story often um, in the early days um, when, um, in 
when when people were experimenting with Gandhian nonviolence, it hadn't yet been translated into this language of nonviolence, but uh, conscientious objectors from the First World War were experimenting in the United States with trying to put this love in action as they as they understood it, right? Um, they thought of themselves as revolutionary pacifists is the way that they understood. So they, so they wanted to figure out whether or not um, by particip- by doing this love and action in the South, it would, it, would, uh, it would be inviting segregationists uh, to, to morally injure themselves. So there was this debate about whether or not they could participate in the freedom rides, right? So, and if, if by doing that, they were provoking the segregationists to violence and therefore potentially harming themselves, potentially inviting that, that harm to them. The argument that prevailed was that by, by confronting them with it with it, with interracial bus riders, we weren't they weren't provoking Southerners to violence. They were holding a mirror to their face, and and letting them choose who they would become, and that was a very loving thing to do, right? And so one way to understand the civil rights movement was it was the story of a choice of relationship. It was a story of saying, because we exist in relationship with each other, I'm showing you the ugliness of who you've become as a country. And I'm giving you the choice to change, uh, to grow, to be different. And so embedded in that is, is this generosity of love, right? And so to me, that's it's hard to live that, to play that out on a on an interpersonal level on an everyday basis. It is, it is difficult. It is exhausting. I can't, I can't, and don't do it all the time. Don't, don't y'all hold me to it. Sometimes you may catch me in a wrong day at a wrong moment. Um, but uh, that's my that's my orientation to it. If I if I fail, then I know that I failed to do it. And if I can't find it within me to do it, then that then that will be my orientation. I will say, I wish. I had it in me. I wish there was a way that I could be in a different quality of relationship with this person, but I can't find it and I don't have the strength to do it. And that, that, that's, that's, that's the, that's the orientation I want to have. Thank you, Luca. We're almost at time, but I, I realize how powerful this has been for everyone. And I think if anybody's got closing thoughts, Lucas, or final questions, um, there's a keynote at two, but please take this time as you all need it to stay in this room, to keep chatting, to meet in the lounge, um, as long as Lucas will stay with us. Yeah, and, and thank you all. I, I really appreciate your 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 sharing with me and and being with me with in these reflections i mean i um i and i think we we offer these things and um we i offer them with humility right and with with uh, a recognition that it's really um the work we have to do is really challenging um and so i I know that for my own life as well as as well as for what I see out there happening in the world.
Some beautiful affirmations in the chat if you didn't get a chance to see them. Well, I'd encourage everyone to take the five minutes for the next keynote or what you need to do and breathe and inhale and reflect, um, do what you need to do. And then we hope to see you then. And we've got um, some dialogues after that, but what a powerful morning. Thank you, Lucas. I think everyone here has been completely awed and touched. So we appreciate you, all of you. Thank you. Thank you all. And uh, uh, have a great weekend. Happy Friday. Um, and uh, thanks for thanks for this time together. Thank you. Yes, unmute all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you again. That was amazing. I what a, I didn't know that you actually um, normally facilitate things with John Powell. And my my gosh, what a natural segue. And I knew, I think you could feel the emotion like that people like what that's my favorite thing about these types of conversations is when it's not about our work right it's about us being human so yeah yeah and no and i i mean it's we just jean paul jean paul and i have been uh we we've you know we've shared the stage before a couple of times so it's not like I, we don't normally facilitate things together but i knew that it would you know of course we we're we're in sync <laughs> he's, he's my elder and and i i always appreciate his will his, his wisdom so but he would have been proud of that it's just it's really nice when you see people let down their guard like that and be authentic um in a different way like i i hope i'm sure you experience it a lot but like i know how powerful that is um to folks in the room so we appreciate that thank you thank you well have a good friday and a good weekend and it was great to meet you Likewise, enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Thanks, Cal. Thank you, Cal. Yes.